Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and sentences it to some harsh viewing to reveal the real history that's lurking underneath. I'm Jem Daducci and I'm going to continue this theme of law and retribution because this time round we're talking about the comic book character that's been turned into two movies, Judge Dredd. Which means we're, of course, going to be talking about law codes, civil rights, in the literal sense of it, in terms of what people are and aren't allowed to do in the past. And we'll be looking at the most ancient tombs and tomes about law in the whole world, plus a little bit about British censorship and an even tinier bit about Little Jem back in the day. Judge Dredd started off as a comic book character in a British comic called 2000 AD. I know the name's going to be slightly distracting. Welcome to the future! In the year 1977. And also the weird thing is that by calling it 2000 AD, ooh, it's set in the future, and you therefore think that Judge Dredd's set maybe in the year 2000? No, not at all. He's several centuries into the future, so none of this makes sense. But 2000 AD is an anthology of different characters and stories and Judge Dredd wasn't actually in the first edition. He was in edition two, and I am pretty sure that there might be a couple of exceptions very early on, but he's the main staple character in 2000 AD. If you buy a copy of 2000 AD, he'll be in it. And indeed, I think around about 1990, they had a spin-off one called the Judge Dredd Magazine, because he works in Mega City One, so magazine, magazine, get it? But there are lots of other characters. There's Nemesis the Warlock, Halo Jones, Strontium Dog, Slain. The list goes on and on. Oh, Rogue Trooper. Love a bit of Rogue. Anyway, so what is Judge Dredd? And a little bit about what is 2000 AD. 2000 AD was created at the sort of the peak of the sort of the 70s and early 80s of these kids consuming loads of comic books, not just your Marvels and DCs, but also I remember buying a comic book called Battle, which was just lots of stories, made up stories from World War II. A lot of these artists, a lot of these writers from these sorts of things like the revamp of Eagle and so on and so forth, these sort of slightly edgier, more action-oriented magazines coalesced into this sci-fi magazine called 2000 AD. And the creators of Judge Dredd are John Wagner and Carlos Esquerra. 
And it is with regrets to say that sadly Carlos Esquerra, he died of cancer in late 2018. A real shame. I loved his artwork. It took a little while to evolve. If you look at the very first few times he sort of drew Judge Dredd, it evolved from there. But what he did was really chunky, gritty artwork. Lots of inks, black and white inks, because most of the 2000 AD, apart from the centre pages, were in black and white. The centre pages were in colour, and obviously the, the front cover was in colour as well. And this was for like budget limitations. And so not only would he draw somebody with like ridiculously large shoulder pads, Judge Dredd and Strontium Dog both have these big chunky shoulder pads. But he actually added extra when he drew the lines around them. It's almost like he put crenellations, like castle crenellations on them. So they looked even sort of grittier and scratchier and chunkier. And I loved that as a kid. Really, really liked it. But as I mentioned, these sort of World War II action comics and then 2000 AD sci-fi action. And action was very much used because the other word for action is violence. And... 2000 AD kept clashing with the British censors in terms of what you could and couldn't show. Again, briefly going back to one of the other characters, Nemesis the Warlock, created and the artwork was done by completely different people. But Kevin O'Neill, it was the artist, and he has this wonderfully twisted gothic artwork. And when they first submitted it, it was just sort of like pushed back by the censors going, no, this is just too strong for children. <laughs> And when Kevin asked, well, what, it, what exactly are you talking about? If, for example, they might turn around and say, on page seven, panel number three, there's a decapitation. You can't show a decapitation or something like that. But their response was, the vaguest they've ever done is basically just everything. There's a pervasive twistedness to all your artwork. What is wrong with you? Which I think Kevin O'Neill quite rightly took as a bit of a compliment. But all this stuff was being consumed by a very young gem. And my parents would buy me a copy of 2000 AD every week. And I'd just sit there and consume it and absolutely love it. And I loved it basically on one level. We'll be coming on to the other level in a moment. Then there was this big outcry about all this sort of hysteria and sort of video nasties and sort of swirling into all this stuff like the violence we're pumping into children. And 2000 AD was mentioned a couple of times. And so my mother would always listen to Radio 4 while she was preparing dinner. And then she heard this. And I mean, subsequently, she told me this story. I didn't realize at the time. But she, she heard about this comic twisting children's brains. Where would an innocent child get the idea to attack her father with a mallet? Television's responsible. And so she went, Jam. And so I came downstairs and she asked me some questions basically about morality. Is this right? Is this wrong? And so on and so forth. And she was completely happy with my answers. She recognized that I could tell the difference between right and wrong, and I have not been twisted by this sick comic. So she kept buying it for me. I had no idea that this was a big controversy at the time. So, who is Judge Dredd? This is Judge Dredd. And also, why are British comics different to American comics? The answer to that is, America basically invented the superhero. Yes, there's been sort of legendary characters in the time, way predating even the idea of America. 
But the idea of this sort of costumed character with special abilities, who probably has a secret identity and all this kind of stuff. Very, very first one of these was one called The Phantom, and that came out in the 1930s, just, just a few years before the likes of Superman and Batman. And first of all, he had a sort of tight-fitting suit, and he had a secret layer, and he had a secret identity, and he could kind of sort of like communicate with animals. And so all of this sounds sort of pretty standard superhero-y and it starts so it starts kind of in the 1930s and it just snowballs from there the big ones the two big ones from the 1930s that are still exist are batman and superman a lot of the comic book characters of today were kind of created more in the 60s you know you know, this is sort of the high point for marvel's creativity but while we consume them in britain Britain just generally has a slightly different view of the world. We're a bit more cynical. The Americans will sort of like have the flag and sort of like blast out the national anthem. And you know, don't get me wrong, the, the British are patriotic, but I, but I think we're a little bit more cynical about it. We, we poke far more fun at our flag and institutions than the Americans. And so Judge Dredd was kind of a, kind of a pushback to these clean cut superheroes from America, because ironically, Judge Dredd is actually American. Mega City One is this massive futuristic city in the east coast of America. It's New York plus most of the east coast. It, it is a massive, gigantic city. And in it, the sort of crime is out of control. So you have the judges. And this is the solution to the crime problem in this gigantic city. So what is a judge? I am the law. John Wagner was actually, that he was the writer and the creator of the concept, he was brought up in a strictly religious school, surrounded by basically monks. And in essence, that's kind of what judges are. They live in, in essence, a barracks. They don't go home to their wife and kids or something like that. They're not allowed to marry because as soon as you have family, that could compromise you in some way. And the idea of the judges is very similar to the monks in the sense that these are uncorruptible people who've been brought into this judicial system and the judges are, yeah, as the tagline goes, judge, jury and executioner all rolled into one. Sort of, but they're basically the police department and the courts all rolled into one. They don't actually just kill people all the time because not every crime is actually punishable by death. Now, there are huge, huge amounts of crimes out there and things tend to be fairly severe. For example, sugar is basically illegal. It's considered a drug. And, and do you know what? Fast forwarding to the modern world, you know, sugar doesn't get a great review and maybe we should start banning it. I mean, there's been absolutely cases of reducing the amount of sugar in things like fizzy drinks for kids, sodas for kids, things like that. But obviously it's a slightly more extreme and you might be put in the cubes, i.e. prison, for like two to three years for having sugar. Obviously something far more serious like assault or assault on a judge would be death. But the thing is, the judge turns up at the crime scene. The judge might actually arrest the individual or they might even do the sort of basically the forensics or do all the detecting, do all the clues. But then they themselves then carry out the, the judgment, hence why they're called judges. So in other words, if I saw you eating a sugary treat, I actually see you doing that. I walk over to you, I state to you what your crime is, and I say to you, you are now going to the ISO cubes for two years. And you cannot ask for an appeal. There is no jury in any of all this stuff. So this is kind of a fascistic, dictatory, totalitarian kind of dystopia that we're talking about. And 
Although this started in, in 1977, so this is before Margaret Thatcher became Prime Minister. She was uh, Prime Minister in 79. You turn if you want to. The ladies not for turning. It very quickly became a judgment on the right-wing policies of this new Conservative government throughout the 80s. And if you like, in, in the age of satire, which in essence is what Judge Dredd is, in the age of satire, you need somebody strong, larger than life. Political satire in Britain was pretty much at its peak in the 1980s because love or hate Margaret Thatcher, the buck stopped with her and therefore she was the perfect person to, to hold up her cracked mirror to, to parody, to satire, etc. When she was replaced by John Major, there was a big political satirical TV show in the 1980s in Britain called Spitting Image and it had a field day with the likes of Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher. What would your reaction be to a Labour victory over Mrs Thatcher? Well, if that happened, we as Americans would respond in the normal, responsible way to a democratic election in another country. Thank you, sir. We'd send in the CIA to help round up all the socialists and execute them. But the writers admitted that pretty much the one gag they had about John Major is he's boring, and you cannot spin that out week after week after week, whereas someone like Margaret Thatcher absolutely could. So Margaret Thatcher, in, in essence, had fuel to the fire for these sort of like young, left-leaning, liberal kind of writers who started writing about Judge Dredd. However, what they realized was, okay, the system that they'd set up was very harsh, but if Judge Dredd himself was incorruptible, you know what the laws are, you know what the rules are, and you will get a fair hearing from this judge. And so, while they sort of set him up almost as a, a hate figure, in essence, 2000 AD became very fond of Judge Dredd. He's firm but fair. And what is fascinating about him as a character, I guess a little bit like Batman. I'm Batman. Batman works just as well as Lego Batman, or indeed, you know, the 1960s sort of silly Batman. Just as well as something like the Dark Knight Rises or the Dark Knight Returns or, or whatever. So Batman can work as super serious, Super gritty and utterly silly in camp as well. Just the same thing with Judge Dredd. He's been in some colossal epic story arcs. Things like the Block Wars and the Apocalypse Wars. And he's been in some very socially telling ones as well. Things like America and Democracy as well. We've had him as hard hitting, but also there are ones that are just genuinely laugh out loud funny. Just like one episode little skits that are just amusing and silly. And he can be both. Sometimes he's basically the bad guy of the story other times he's undeniably the hero and basically he always does in essence what is right according to these rules which is where he gets his catchphrase i am the law i am the law which brings me to the fact that judge dread is pretty much the only british comic book character who's been picked up by hollywood twice and turned into two different movies. There's the 1995 Sylvester Stallone movie called Judge Dredd, and then there's the 2012 Carl Urban movie called Dredd. I'm going to give you full disclosure. There can be very little doubt that the 95 movie was a bit of a disaster, okay? It's kind of Demolition Man 1.5. They very much took the riffs of Demolition Man. Now, I love Demolition Man, but Demolition Man is different to Judge Dredd. One of the things about Judge Dredd is he is the faceless image of the law. Judge Dredd doesn't have much of a personality, and you never see his face. The judges have their faces covered, but you do have their badge, so you know which judge is judging you. And, you know, again, there's the front of their visor is very dark, so you can't see their eyes. Basically, you'd see your own reflection in it. Yes, you can start talking about there's some metaphors going on there. His gun is referred 
referred to as a lawgiver, for example, a bit like the peacemaker from the, from the 19th century, the Colt peacemaker. I want everybody to know that the gun that shot Buford Tannen was a Colt peacemaker. Hey, hey, no problem. Thanks a lot. Of course, uh, you understand that if you lose, I'm taking it back. I think that the Stallone movie got the look right. They just got everything else wrong. <laughs> Whereas the 2012 movie with Carl Urban got the feel right, but it was much lower budget. They knew that the 95 version was a bit of a car crash. They also very much wanted to make it R-rated in America, 15 in, in the UK. So, you know, it was not going to have the same coverage as like an Avengers movie, but it was sort of like gritty and therefore they wanted to keep the budget low. But there are times when it just looks, I know it was filmed in South Africa, but it just looks like South Africa today, particularly the car chase early on where people are, somebody's in basically a VW camper van. It's sort of like, that's just not 2000 AD. That's not Judge Dredd. It's like, okay, I understand the budget restrictions and blah, blah, blah. But there are times when it sort of like you can really feel the budget squeaking. But in essence, what this starts inadvertently, it wasn't originally meant to do this, but it starts having a conversation about how societies judge criminals and carry out legal codes. I wanted to sort of like just stick in here Hammurabi's code. This is ancient Mesopotamian. This predates any other code. The original is sitting there in the Louvre. You can go and have a look at it today. And this is invents basically the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth thing. Yes, of course, that's in the Bible, but the biblical version of that was written after Hammurabi. And it's, it's very much a case of if you do something bad, something bad will happen to you. And yes, ancient Egypt also had an agrarian economy, but so did ancient Babylon. Ancient Babylon invented writing as well. So the sort of Mesopotamians, etc. And therefore, once we have all this largest urban population, people need to start working out what is and isn't allowed. And I'll give you one example that definitely isn't in the Bible, but this gives you an example is one of the codes talks about architects. And basically it says this, that if a house collapses and kills anybody in that house, then the architect must be put to death. So ensuring, therefore, that people aren't going to be sloppy when they're building all these houses, because modern building regulations didn't exist 4,000 years ago in ancient Mesopotamia. But there you've got the beginnings of, if you like, a, a social contract. If we're going to try and keep you safe in a city or in a town, well, then you want your four walls to be standing up, don't you? You can argue about the punishment, but there's certainly a logic there. And when you then fast forward to today and we look at the, like, the terrors of Grenfell Tower, for those of you outside of the UK, this was a tower block of social housing in London that basically burnt down. It killed dozens of people. And the understandable outcry was there. But nowadays, it's very hard to work out who did which bit of work on it. Accountabilities evaporated. If we went to, back to Hammurabi, particularly like the weeks after the Grenfell Tower, people probably would have said, yeah, that's a really good law. Let's do that one. So, yes, Judge Dredd starts this conversation about how society and humanity has had to put in rules out of necessity. Let's take ancient Greece. Now, you've probably heard of rhetoric. The most famous part of rhetoric, a form of public speaking, is the rhetorical question. The question that is asked, but no answer is expected. Do you even know what rhetorical means? Do I know what rhetorical means? Now, we know who invented rhetoric, and it's to do with law. It was invented in the Greek colony of Syracuse, now in modern-day Sicily, by a lawyer called Corax. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Now, the way the Greek judicial system worked is no matter how serious the case was, you had one day to try it. All the men, yes, sorry ladies, you didn't have any rights in those days. All the men would gather and there would be a, a selection of jury from the crowd. The reason for that? To stop jury tampering, because I am unlikely to have enough money to bribe everybody in the crowd. And of course, if I try and bribe everybody in the crowd, everybody's going to know it's fake. And yeah, so it's actually quite an efficient way of grabbing a jury. And then because it's from sun up to sundown, there's no chance for me to interact with the jury and either threaten them or pay them off. So that was, if you like, the beauty of the Greek system. You got one day to sort it out and Therefore, you better get on with it. And also, there were some instances, obviously these, these things changed over time, but there were some instances where the actual person who was accused had the right to choose, before the, the jury heard the cases, their punishment. So you could turn around and give yourself a relatively light punishment, thinking that you're going to get off, but that might very much sway people against you because they're going, well, you clearly don't even take this case very seriously. So there was even pressure on the accused to come up with, shall we say, the right level of punishment. And indeed, there were some famous instances of, of Greek philosophers who sort of like tried to game the system and because they said, well, if I'm found guilty, you're going to have to kill me, thinking they wouldn't dare kill me. And yeah, that didn't work out, work out too well. Anyway, You've got this one day to do it. Now, going back to Korax of Syracuse, inventing the concept of rhetoric. What is rhetoric? Rhetoric is the illusion of a public speaker having a conversation with an audience. Now, if me and you, yes, you, who has my voice in your ears right now, I thank you for your brain time and your patience. If you and I were sitting there having dinner together. You're sweet, my lady. You're nuts, my lord. Then we could 
fire questions backwards and forwards, we can get loads of information. But if I walk out onto a stage in front of 200 people and ask the question, where is everybody from? I'm going to go as a noise back at me. I'm not going to pick up that somebody's from Pittsburgh, somebody else is from Birmingham. Okay, it's just a wall of sound. But the way rhetoric works is if I ask the right questions, it just triggers things in your brain. I'll give you an example. As you've been listening to this, you're unlikely to have been thinking about this. What is the capital city of Malta? Now, I use this in my training all the time because people don't tend to think of Malta very often. And it's I'm going to guarantee it's triggered something in your brain. You first of all thought, do I know where Malta is? Maybe you thought, have I been there on holiday? Maybe you start thinking, oh, geography. Or maybe you start, your brain's sort of pushed back and go, why didn't he say France? I know that one's Paris. Sorry about that. For the record, the capital city of Malta is Valletta. If you like the early series of Game of Thrones, yes, then uh, basically King's Landing was all shot in Valletta. Big, huge, old fortifications and sort of palaces there. Anyway, anyway, the point is, by me just asking the question, what's the capital city of Malta? It has started firing things in your brains to start thinking, oh, do I know this? Don't I know this? So I forced you to think in the area I want you to think. Rhetoric is considered the pinnacle of public speaking, and you get good things like politicians saying things, you think, oh, it's almost like they're reading my mind. Well done for them. And again, look, this does not mean that they're either a good person or a bad person. All it tells you is that they are good at rhetoric. And this is the thing. Corax of Syracuse was, in essence, a lawyer, a solicitor. And he invented this public speaking trick not to find out who was guilty or innocent, but to win the cases. Because that's what lawyers' jobs are. So... There you have an example of somebody coming up with a trick to, in essence, unfairly balance the system. So going back to Judge Dredd, if you have a severe group who are running the city, but everybody knows, in essence, what the rules are, and you also know that this person who is judging you is uncorruptible, you can't give them a fistful of money, you can't threaten their family because they don't have one, then actually, that's in theory, not the world's worst system. We all complain about, you know, there's been travesties of justice and so on and so forth. And it just shows you that there is no perfect legal system. I'll sort of take you through the development. So I've, I've mentioned basically ancient Babylon, ancient Mesopotamia. Then I've talked about the ancient Greeks. And actually sort of like after the ancient Greeks, we get the Romans. And Roman law is pretty much the cornerstone of most Western law. My father trained as a lawyer in Republican Turkey in the 1960s, basically. So you would have thought that that is a person that would have like looked at Islamic law or modern day Turkish law. But actually, one of the courses he had to take was Roman law. And indeed, to this day, if you take a law degree, it's probably not very big. But Roman law will be mentioned. The basic setup of the sort of like the jury and the judge and sort of like coming up with evidence and the arguments backwards and forwards. Yes, there are huge differences between modern courts of law and Roman law. But the ideas, the foundations of, in essence, Western legal frameworks comes from the Romans. And when we get to the Middle Ages, trial by combat. 
where in the early Middle Ages there was the idea of, well, if we can't sort this out, then maybe I get a champion, you get a champion, they have a fight, and God's going to bless, obviously, the person who's okay. Or there could be also be trial by ordeal, where really stupid ones, like I'm going to put a sizzlingly hot iron bar in my hand, walk ten paces, drop it, you give me a week for it to heal, and if it's miraculously healed, God has blessed me, and therefore I'm clearly innocent. Terrible system. And because those bits were real, People don't realize that there absolutely were legal systems in the Middle Ages. There is the very fundamental idea, habeas corpus, which in essence is not quite the literal translation, but in essence it means show me the body. And really what it is is about you cannot just put somebody in prison without any kind of charges against them or anything like that. There are echoes of that in Magna Carta, but that's not really what Magna Carta is about. If there's one sort of universal truth that you can take from Magna Carta, 1215, King John, all that kind of good stuff, it's fundamentally that the king is not above the law, and the laws do apply to everybody. But apart from that, most of it's about things like fishing weirs in the Thames, getting rid of French mercenaries that, are, that at that point were currently in the south of England, cattle implications, things like that. There's even specifically named individuals in the Magna Carta, so clearly it wasn't meant to be a document for all ages, but really to solve a civil war that was happening at that time. And indeed, habeas corpus is sort of alluded to there, but it was part of Henry II's court. That's the first time we get sort of like specific mentions to it in England. And Henry II was the dad of King John, was long dead by 1215. So clearly it couldn't have been the origins of habeas corpus. And I've sort of like looked around. It seems that the very first mention of this was actually a woman who was locked away. And there was this outcry. And there's like, well, where's the evidence for this? So it does show you that, look, Medieval society might have been illiterate, might have been incredibly God-fearing, it might have had some wild ideas about how the world works, but fundamentally everybody wants to have their day in court and be treated justly, or at least the concepts of justness at that time. So yes, there were lawyers, there were courts, there were loads of courts. There's perhaps far more legal processes going on in the Middle Ages than you ever first realised. And what I find fascinating is just to sort of finish my point here on the early Early judicial systems is when you look at the Iberian, a bit Spanish or Portuguese people who went over to the New World and basically took down two empires, the Aztec Empire and the Incan Empire. Well, if we go down to the Incan Empire, in both cases, horrific, brutal crimes against humanity were committed. Massacres happened. There were inadvertent sharing of biological infections, which sort of wiped out populations, etc., etc. And so you would think, well, the, the Spanish themselves would have been you know, horrible and nasty and sort of like amoral. Well, they were very much moral from their point of view. But what I love the fact is when they basically set up Spanish South America rather than sort of like Mexico, one of the thing, first things they did was they banned lawyers from coming over. I'm not a pirate. So happens I am a lawyer. Kill the lawyer! Not that kind of lawyer. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, we, we massacred entire villages of men, women and children, but we're not as bad as lawyers. So it shows you that there was a pushback on like these people are sort of blood-sucking leeches. It, it, you, you go through society and through the ages and generally lawyers are never seen as particularly great people. I don't believe it. You're meant to come down here and defend me against these characters and the only one I've got on my side is the blood-sucking lawyer. 
However, I have lawyers in the family. As I said, my father, he didn't actually end up practicing because, funnily enough, what put my father off, it turned out he was a very good businessman, but what put my father off was he knew he was good at it. He was basically the top of his year. He went to Istanbul University, which is the best university in the country. I even had an exchange with uh, Berkeley in California back in the 60s. That was quite the culture shock from the young boy uh, from Turkey. But uh, anyway, anyway, he had this fundamental problem of like, I have to defend people who I know are guilty. But, you know, if you're a proper lawyer, you have to still give them as much effort and try and get them off. And, you know, it's, it's down to the prosecution to prove their case, the fundamentals of habeas corpus. Well, if he looks guilty and I feel he's guilty, well, that's not good enough. You have to prove he's guilty. I've got sort of friends of family where lawyers have literally got the wrong date in question, in which case the case was thrown out, even though it was highly likely that the person could have been convicted because there were fundamental errors by the solicitor involved. You could very quickly build up a case of th there is now very much reasonable doubt. And that's what you have to get to. And if you like, the difference between the criminal courts and the civil courts is the level of proof. If we're at the criminal courts, it's beyond any reasonable doubt. But when we're in the civil courts, there is a, a lower threshold of evidence. But obviously, if it's a civil court, you don't go to prison. And, you know, you, you don't have a criminal record because those are two different courts. And there are loads of different courts. The Ottoman Empire, they had, in essence, a legal court, a religious court, and a court for outsiders as well. In the Romans, they, you know, they had different levels, uh, different types of courts. There was centuries-long argument in Europe. Obviously, a churchman should be tried in church courts. But what about all the laymen, i.e. the people who aren't actually priests and archbishops, etc., working for them in the monasteries who commit crimes? Now, they would want church punishment because basically it was a case of you've got to read out the Lord's Prayer or go fasting for a couple of days, as opposed to being thrown in prison for 10 years or have your hand cut off or whatever. So you can see how there has never been a perfect legal system. So why not try a bunch of uncorruptible people who were there at the time of the crime and could make their judgment call? It's a fascinating idea. And so going back, if you like, to Judge Dredd in the wider context, they are now owned by a company called Rebellion who have set up this UK-based, kind of from scratch, massive filming studio. And it's the estimated investment is a hundred million pounds. That's sort of like $130 million with the purpose to sort of bring some of these 2000 AD characters to life in terms of TV. And they've been talking for several years now about a Judge Dredd TV series. And, and there's a sort of theories like, could we get Carl Urban back? Because everybody agreed he played a great Judge Dredd. Now, in the Carl Urban 2012 version, as I said, lower budget, more gritty, perhaps more realistic, the helmet was very much spot on. But the rest of him, he's like looked like he's wearing a flat jacket rather than what he looks like wearing in the actual comic books. His shoulder pads were greatly reduced because they were kind of ridiculous. But Stallone pulled it off. Stallone hated his look, particularly on the poster of his version of Judge Dredd. He quite famously said, I looked like the front of a Buick. That's uh, a type of car. And he kind of did. But that's not the world's worst look for Judge Dredd. But because he was a big star, he kept taking the helmet off in the movie and seeing Judge Dredd never does. And because he's meant to be, if you like, the faceless, dispassionate image of the law, that's not what you're looking for. These aren't the droids you're looking for. It also didn't help that basically uh, Sylvester Stallone, uh, very early on in his life, he basically got paralyzed down one side of his body, which is why he got into the bodybuilding side of things. It was to rebuild his slightly frail side. It's why he's got that droopy side of his mouth. And 
This is something that he's just got. It's not a sign of lack of intelligence or anything like that. The slightly slurred speech is because, you know, his body underwent such sort of like trauma and he rebuilt himself. We can rebuild him. I have huge respect and time for Sylvester Stallone. But anyway, the problem is when he starts shouting out, I am the law. I am the law! It doesn't sound very good coming out of his mouth. Whereas Carl Urban. I am the law sort of channeling Dirty Harry, which was an influence for the record of Judge Dredd, as was Robocop. I absolutely encourage you to have a look at the first, basically, build-up of what Robocop could have looked like, and basically it's Judge Dredd. And indeed, the makers of Robocop have admitted that they were highly influenced by it, but of course, it was different enough that Judge Dredd got no credit. So while there has yet to be a perfect big hit movie for Judge Dredd, let's hope that the TV series works well. But the real problem with the Carl Urban one is just simply bad luck. Because the basic premise for a low-budget movie worked really well. Judge Dredd turns up at this block. There's loads of colossal skyscrapers called blocks in, in Mega City One called Peach Trees. The reason for that is that's where the meeting was between basically 2000 AD and the creators of the movie. The name of the restaurant was Peach Trees, which is why they named it, which, which uh, you know, okay, that's clever for them, but it doesn't mean anything to anybody else. And actually loads and loads of blocks sort of have got clever names. And it's sort of kind of like how in the 1980s it became fashionable to name council estates after sort of famous socially aware people like you'd literally be on Nelson Mandela block or something like that. Nelson Mandela house, the home of only fools and horses. Even though Nelson Mandela had not gone anywhere near that particular area of London even. They could have come up with something cleverer than that in my opinion but anyway. But the basic premise is Judge Dredd and Judge Anderson, we don't have time to go into that but she's an amazing character in the comic book, she's psychic, she's really interesting but here she's just a rookie mm -hmm. she's got vague psychic powers but I, I, I think they kind of fumbled Anderson but anyway. So the two of them turn up at this block and basically there's some illegal drugs in there that are being manufactured and the bad guy played by Lena Headey, that's Cersei Lannister if you don't know, she basically locks it down down and tells everybody in this 200 floor block to kill the judges, take them down. And then they have to battle their way floor after floor all the way up to the top to get the bad guy. Because it's floor after floor, it means you could reuse some of the sets, just slightly repaint them. It's a great way to create, you know, this sort of claustrophobic sense, you, you know, you're, you're sort of surrounded by baddies. But halfway around the world at the same time this was happening, there was a Welshman in Indonesia who had a dream and made an action movie. I'm not making any of this stuff up. That is called The Raid, which is about a bunch of cops that go into a block that's run by a bad guy who then locks down the, the tower block and then tells everybody in the tower block to attack the, the cops. And the cops then have to fight their way up to take down the bad guy at the top of the building. It's exactly the same plot. It's exactly the same tone. And sadly, there can be no doubt that The Raid is a far better movie. For starters, the brutal martial arts and action in it is just simply better than anything Judge Dredd. Judge Dredd is a very efficient in hand-to-hand in, in -hand combat, but he's not a martial arts expert, as it were. And therefore, yeah, sorry, Raid's coming out basically at the same time as Judge Dredd, or sorry, Dredd as it's called, and it was just bad luck in the case of Dread. Also, it had the worst marketing campaign. It really didn't create enough sizzle beyond the core fan base. And yes, I saw it in the cinema. And yes, I, I really enjoyed it. But I was also sitting there thinking The Raid did this better. It's just, it's just blind luck that those two movies happened to come out about the same time. I have always got a soft spot for Judge Dredd. 
he does start an interesting conversation about about the legal system because there is no perfect legal system and if you don't like the judge dread one you have every right to do so but can you come up with the perfect legal system because unless you truly know what's inside the minds of the the guilty and the innocent you will there will always be flaws there will always be manipulation you know there can always be loopholes as i said before there are times when there is a difference to what is illegal and what is immoral those two things don't always go hand in hand an interesting philosophical thought to think of at the end of this podcast so i really hope you've enjoyed this one more podcast goodness coming your way soon What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.